first book in the Bible is called Genesis. And we're going to look closely at the first page of the book of Genesis. It's a carefully crafted narrative about God creating and ordering the whole cosmos. Okay, let's check it out. Now, the opening line of the whole Bible is, In the beginning, God created the skies and the land. Now, your Bible translation might say, The heavens and the earth. In biblical Hebrew, the word for heaven refers simply to the sky above. And the word for earth does not mean globe, but rather the land. The ground below us. Right. This line is summarizing what's going to happen in the following narrative, which starts in the next line. And it reads, Now the land was wild and waste. This phrase rhymes in Hebrew. The land was tohu vavohu, which means unordered and uninhabited. This is the ancient way of talking about the pre-creation state, what we might call nothingness. For the biblical authors, non-existence means having no purpose and no order. And the next line uses another image to say the same thing. And darkness was on the face of the deep abyss. What's the deep abyss? Yeah, it's a dark, chaotic ocean. It's another common way the ancients described the non-reality that preceded creation. Now, here's where things start to get interesting, because in the midst of those dark waters, God is present. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Hebrew word for God's Spirit is ruach, which can refer to wind or breath or God's invisible presence. So you can't see it, but God is present in the darkness, ready to bring order so that life can flourish. Yes, and this ordering happens in a series of six days. Each day begins with the phrase, and God said, and then ends with the phrase, and there was evening and morning. Yeah, every day addresses those problems introduced in verse 2, that there's no order and no inhabitants. So on days 1 through 3, God splits apart that unordered darkness into three ordered realms. Then on days 4 through 6, God fills the uninhabited wasteland with creatures. Interesting. Let's see how that works. Okay. So the first realm of order begins with light on day one. Ah, yes. Let there be light. This is God's own glorious light that fills and contains the darkness as he separates day from night. God's establishing the order of time. Okay. And then on day two, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. What's the vault? In the ancient culture of the biblical authors, the sky was perceived as a solid dome that holds back waters. God's depicted here as splitting the chaos waters in half, above and below, which creates the realms of the sky and the seas. And then on day three, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. God is establishing the realm of the land and it emerges out of the chaotic waters. And then there's a bonus creative act on day three. God invites plants and fruit trees with seed to emerge out of the land. Okay, so we've got the realms of time, the realm of the sky and the seas, and the land. And they all have order. Right. Now, it's time to go back and fill these realms of days one through three with inhabitants. This is what happens on days four through six. So in day four, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky. God installs these lights, the sun, moon, and stars, as signs and symbols that reflect God's own light. He gives them his own royal power to separate day and night. Then on day five, let the waters swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the land. Yeah, these are the creatures that live in the waters below and those that fly near the waters above. 
Then finally on day six, let the land produce living creatures. They emerge up out of the ground to live on the land. And then, matching that bonus act of creation on day three, God makes a special land creature, human, or in Hebrew, Adam. Then God provides all of those plants from day three as abundant food. Now, over and over, God says what he created was good. But then, after making humans, God says that it is very good. Yes, humanity is the climax of days one through six, and their importance is explained in the first poem in the Bible. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So humans come up from the ground like the other land creatures, but they're also more. They're God's image, which means that together, men and women embody and represent the creator within his creation. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, ruling over the creatures. This is the purpose of being God's image, to oversee creation as God's partners and representatives in the world. Very cool. Now, after the six days, we get a concluding line that links back to the key words of the opening line. And so were completed the skies and the land and all their inhabitants. Except there's one more day. It stands outside the pattern of days one through six. It's the big climax. And God completed on the seventh day the work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and set it apart as holy So God rests on the seventh day. This is a standard biblical image where God, after ordering the cosmos, comes to rest and dwell in his sacred space. It's like the whole world is a holy temple where God lives with his people. Now that phrase, there was evening and morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. That's right. The seventh day has no end. That's because Genesis 1 is describing God's ideal vision for the whole cosmos. A place where God lives with his partners to rule the world in harmony forever. Yes, the seventh day is the goal of creation. It's actually so important that the author of Genesis 1 has woven the number seven into every part of the story. There are seven days of creation, seven announcements that creation is good. There are seven Hebrew words in the opening verse, and then two times seven Hebrew words in verse two. And then the statement about the seventh day has three lines of seven words. Wow. So the first page in the Bible is doing way more than just telling us how the world was made. Right. Genesis 1 has been designed to show us that God's purpose is to share creation with his images so they can rest and rule it with him forever. And that purpose is what the rest of the biblical drama is all about. Awesome, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word, and Lord, I thank you for the creation story. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself in new ways to us uh, through your word um, as we uh, look at it. God, I pray you would open our eyes and ears and hearts, Lord, to hear from you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're working through the lectionary passages, uh, and last week was Pentecost Sunday. Today, we are beginning a new series called God's Creative Connection. 
The lectionary reading for today is from Genesis chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 4. And there's so much in this passage that could be talked about. And I feel like I'm just skimming the surface here, as you saw from the video from the, from the Bible Project, that there is just so much richness in this passage. And I want to look at three things. One, God is the creator. Two, you are his creation. And three, what will you create? This is my favorite time of year, springtime. Seeds coming up and leaves are coming out and flowers. The birds are singing. It's the time of year people start getting out more into nature to admire the views, the lakes and the rivers, to see wildlife and stand in awe at the color of the sky, at the sunrise and the sunset. It's the time of year that people who have very nice, warm, cozy beds and flushable toilets exchange them for sleeping on the ground, huddled around a fire and doing their business over a hole in a small shed. Why? Because they want to enjoy nature, to get away from it all, and to enjoy the sounds and sights of creation. Some of us might not be campers, but I think all of us uh, have one thing that we really enjoy while being outside. And for me, one of those things is seeing the stars at night. Now, I'll always remember uh, this one time we were sailing uh, uh, on board Logos Hope, and we were sailing um, in the Indian Ocean. It was between Sri Lanka and Oman. And we couldn't have any lights on board the ship because we were in pirate waters. And so if you had lights on the ship, then the pirates would see you, and then they would come with their little boats and take over. So we didn't want to have any lights on the ship. So we didn't have any lights on the ship, and we were far away from land, so there was no uh, light pollution from the cities. And so it was just blackness and waves and wind and stars. And so I would go out at night and I would want to see the stars. And so when you walked out onto the deck at night, it was pitch black and you could see a star on the horizon straight in front of you. And then you could see a star on the horizon behind you. And over you was this dome of stars. It was incredible. There were billions and billions of stars. And I would lie down on the deck and I would kind of, you know, you're you know, waving back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and you could see the stars and just, just absorb them and just be in wonder about how many there were. But what sticks with me though is the feeling of wonder, of awe, the unexplained knowledge and perspective of how little I was and how great God was. Romans 1 verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Paul is explaining that God has revealed himself to all people through what he has made. God is not hidden, hidden away or too complicated to know. He has made what is visible around us to point to the invisible. When we look at nature and all created things, it leads us to ask and to understand that there must be someone who has created it, an intelligent designer who has inexhaustible power to create all we see. God has revealed himself through creation. 
So as we look at the account of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, I notice a few things. That there is order, that there is purpose, and that there is beauty. God, the creator, didn't just throw things together like there was, like there was no order. There was order. First, he creates light and darkness, a sense of time. Then he separates the waters and creates the sky. Then he creates dry land from the seas and fills these places with plants, trees, and vegetation. Then God creates the sun and moon and then fills the sea and sky with living things, birds, and fish. Finally, on the sixth day, he creates living creatures to inhabit the land. Genesis 1.24 says, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. I think we all have those places in our houses that, uh, there, where there's not much order. There is a lot of messiness. A junk drawer, the linen closet that things just get shoved into, the basement back room where everything ends up when no one knows what to do with it. Or there's the desk overflowing with papers or the child's bedroom that you really don't even want to go in, but you just shut the door. Anyone have somewhere like that in their house? I think we all have that one place, though, that if space or that if that space or that room or that thing is clean, then we know everything is going to be okay. And when it's not, life is in chaos. For me, it's the island in the kitchen. Things just get shoved there and left there. I don't know even how or why or when. I just tidied it up and it's clear and then I come back into the kitchen a few hours later and surprise, more stuff. There are books and guitar picks and papers, unread mail, Chromebooks, seeds, maybe a lunch container. It drives me nuts. However, when that space is clear, I'm okay. I can breathe. My mind is calm and I'm more relaxed and feel better when that space has order. In this passage, we see that the animals were categorized into three kinds. The livestock, which connects animals to people. The creatures that move along the ground, such as insects or mice. And then there are the animals of the wild, such as deer, lions, and tigers, and bears. Oh my! <laughs> the phrase, according to their kinds, is actually repeated five times in those two verses. There is order. And God is ordering the animals into different species. In John Golden Gay's commentary, Genesis for Everyone, he brings understanding to this. It is a human instinct to need some structure in our lives and in our homes, though many people find it hard to get that structure. Genesis 1 presupposes this human need and those human dynamics. The world as a whole can seem chaotic and that was the case for the Israelites who heard Genesis 1 while they were in exile. Genesis assured them and assures us that the world is not that way, even if sometimes it looks like it. God created it in an orderly fashion with everything in its place. What a beautiful truth 
and assurance that God can bring order to chaos. He can bring order to the chaos of our situation and circumstances in our lives. What is going on around you right now? What are the storms of life that you are facing? What is it in your life that causes a sense of chaos? Know that it is God that can bring structure to that situation. He can bring order and sort things out for you and for your good. In the creation story, there's also a sense of purpose. There is purpose in the order of creation. First, there is the environments that are created perfectly for the living things to exist in, and then God fills those environments with the living things, plants, trees, fruit, first for the fish, birds and animals to eat and to give shelter to and to sustain their lives. We can see that there is purpose in each thing being formed to sustain the next thing in creation. And as creation lives and dwells within the world, and as they do what they were created to do, they bring worship to their creator God. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. We get a beautiful picture here of the purpose of creation, to worship God and point to his glory. They are doing what they were created to do. Creation is lifting up praise to our great and holy God. So we've looked at God as the creator, Now we will look at our part, humans, as his creation. You have been created, and it is not just good, it is very good. So say that to your neighbor, you are very good. You You have been created, and it was very good. Humans were the last to be created in Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There was an order in human creation. We, people, were created last in an almost climactic event and and created last as we had a role to play in taking care of and bringing order to what had been created. Genesis 1, 28 and 29, God tells Adam and Eve that they are to rule over creation and bring order to it. He gave them the task of taking care of his creation. Could this be part of what is meant by making us in his image? So what does made in his image mean? Golden Gate also says, over the centuries, people have understood this expression in light of what was important to them. For people whom ethics is important, God's image suggests moral responsibility. For people whom spirituality is important, God's image suggests a spiritual nature. For God, whom relationships are important, God's image suggests being relational. I work as a chaplain at Salvation Army Bethany Hope Center, a resource center for pregnant and parenting youth. Uh, One of the main focuses of ministry and what is read about and written about and talked about in chaplaincy is this idea of incarnational ministry or ministry of presence. This is the idea that We represent God wherever we go. So the Holy Spirit lives in us because um, we are his and that wherever we go, we bring him just with our presence, 
meeting people where they're at and being present in their lives. We are a representation of God into the lives of the people that we meet and that we support and we serve. Because I am made in God's image, I bring that image with me to reflect his image, his love, his compassion, his kindness, his goodness into the lives of others. I love driving, especially at this time of year. With the windows down, just when it's sunset, when the air is cooler, and you can smell the grasses and the flowers and the wind, you can start to hear crickets and a few birds settling in for the night. The roads are wide and spacious, and lots of times there are wide open spaces where you can see long, straight roads ahead. However, a number of years ago, we were living in the UK for a few months, and I had to learn to drive there. The roads are narrow. There is usually stone walls on either side or hedgerows, and, and it's on the other side of the road. And don't get me started over the, all, all the double-laned roundabouts there. It's, if, you, if you think Kemp feels really bad, this is worse. <laughs> this is way, way worse. Okay? And I remember actually one time driving, and there's stone wall on either side, and there was a big truck coming toward me, and I'm on the other side of the road, and I kind of went, past it, just kind of shutting my eyes, hoping I'd make it. And so it was narrow. So they have all these things when you're driving on quite tricky roads, usually with lots of twists and turns up the hills or the mountains, where you can see what's around the corner. They're these big, round, angled mirrors, and they reflect your vehicle and the vehicle that's uh, coming around the corner, and the image of the vehicle coming around the corner, so that you don't smash into them or to let you know that you, know, you need to back up and let them pass. This is also another interesting thing, is that if you see another vehicle coming, and because the roads are small, there's these little kind of places where you can back up and wait to the other people to come, and so it's a whole thing. It's very, very different than here. But there's these angled mirrors everywhere, so you can see your, the image of your car and the image of the other car that's coming. R.T. Wright suggests that God has put humans like an angled mirror in his world. So that God, so this, pretend, this is an angled mirror, so that uh, God can reflect his love, so we are like the angled mirror. God can reflect his love and care and stewardship of the world through humans, and so that the rest of the world can praise the creator through humans. So how are you reflecting the image of God into the world? Are you allowing God to reflect his image through your presence into someone else's life so that they are in turn can see and worship God? How can you allow God's image to be reflected through you more? You have been created for a purpose and you are not a mistake. Psalm 139, 13, 16 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God took care in your creation. He sees you and knows you 
and has a plan and a purpose for your life. God has created in you things to use to bring him glory and allow other people to see God through your life. Is it your personality? Is it your skills or talents? Is it your ideas or how good you are at listening? Is it how you care for others around you? So God is the creator. We have been created. What will you create? I believe we all have something inside of us that wants to create. When I was a little girl, we were always creating forts. My brothers and sisters and I would join our neighbor kids or cousins and would always be making these forts. We made them out of snow, out of blankets, Inside, we'd make them with sticks or cut grass or cut down small branches to make a clearing inside a tree line. The best fort that we ever made was near Stevens Creek on McCordick Road. My cousins, brothers, and I started building, and it was great. There was a ladder nailed to the tree. My brothers and cousins uh, and a neighbor friend even hooked up. Oh, sorry. There was, a, there was like a platform. There was walls. There was a roof. And there was like, we even got a window. I don't even know. I don't even know where we got all the stuff, <laughs> but we found it somewhere. And then uh, my, my, my uh, neighbor friend, he and my brothers, they hooked up a zip line from the, so you'd climb on top of the fort and then put a zip line across the creek to a tree on the other side. And we thought, you know, you have to be safe. So we like nailed a pillow on the other side <laughs> of the creek. And so then they would go up and they would zip line across. Okay, and so it was so fun. And uh, we thought one day that we would, you know, make it a little more homey and we should paint it. And so we found this burgundy paint. I still remember it. This burgundy paint. And we're like, should we use paintbrushes? And we thought, no, we're not going to use paintbrushes. Let's just use our hands. So we just put handprints with paint. I don't even know what kind of paint it was. We were just putting handprints all over this fort. And then we had the problem of trying to get this paint off. And then we had to go and get some gas. And then we put the gas. My parents had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I, don't, you know, I don't make too many tree forts these days, but I am creating, and I would argue that we all create things in our own way, the way that God has made us. God gives us resources to create from, and it's not, I'm not just talking about fine art, so here, okay? Or, or if you think, well, I'm not very, you know, especially creative. I would suggest that we have the potential to create with things that we've been given, like words, creating thoughts, conversations, written works, or communicating kindness, or creating creative ideas, with tools, creating spaces to live in, furniture to use, or creating a way to allow someone to use something again, to create with hands, to create a safe place for a child, to create a clean and healthy space, to make a connection and bring comfort, to create something beautiful, with food, to create a meal for loved ones to gather around, or to grow plants and create sustainability for those without, to create the sense of home for someone who is living away. With paint, to create a piece that will make someone think, or worship, or connect with their emotions, or paint a space that will uh, create a new sense of joy. Or with seeds, to create beauty, to create food in the fields for those to live by. Think about it. What are the resources that God has given you to participate in creating? Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. Christian music songwriter Matthew West, he says this in his song. I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble now, thought, how do we ever get so far down? How, did ever gonna, how is it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven and said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. I created you. There is purpose in creating. Creating allows us to connect with God, our creator, and creating gives us the opportunity to share his image with others in creation. So as you go from here today, as you look at what he has created, allow yourself to marvel at how great God is, his eternal power and divine nature that is seen in his creation. Join with all of nature in bringing him praise. Then as you go out into the world, be that angled mirror in reflecting the image of God into creation, taking care of what is around you, and bringing his love and care and stewardship into people's lives. And finally, as you create, taking what resources you have been given, bring God glory. Allow him to reflect his image to those, with those things in your life, your skills, your talents, your personalities, to cause others to bring him glory as well. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are our creator that you are so much bigger than we can ever think or imagine, Lord. And God, I pray as we go out today, as we spend time in nature, as we enjoy the summer season, that God, you would show us um, your divine nature. God, that you would show us how great you are, that you are the king above all kings and the Lord above all lords. And God, that as we see your qualities, Lord, around us, that God, we would come to worship you in new ways. And God, I pray that you would reveal to us those things that you've placed in our lives, our personalities, our skills, our talents, and the resources that we have around us. And God, that we would reflect your image as image bearers into other people's lives. God, that we would uh, be able to uh, let your spirit work through us, Lord God, so that others can come to know you as well and worship you as well. In the name of Jesus, amen.